Hello and welcome to the Weird Geeks Horror Show where every Friday we'll be covering another installment in a classic horror franchise. Go to weirdgeeks.com and Weird Geeks on iTunes to check out our other podcast series, social medias, Twitch streams, contact details and news on our very own feature films, albums, shorts and more that are currently in production for our publisher, We Are Tessellate. Weird Geeks is not affiliated with any of the rights holders of the film's reference and no infringement is intended. Geeks! Geeks! Hello, welcome back to the Weird Geeks Horror Show, where every single Friday we take you another installment in the classic horror retrospective franchise. We're at the beginning. A new dawn has come. I'm your host, Al White, and joining me throughout all of the Blair Witch films, and oh, by God, there's more of them than you might think, Alexander Chard. I'm back, and I'm excited. Going for the hat trick. If you make it through this series, I think that's going to be the longest recurring co-host. Thank you. Which is how it should be. A pleasure. If you had a haircut. Uh, about two weeks ago. Looks good. I like it. I haven't seen you for like three weeks, probably. So. Thank you. Yes, you have. <laughs> Joining us for the very first time. Her first appearance on any podcast, apparently. This mm-hmm. is going to go well. Uh, Heaven Lee DeVera. Man. You can call her Heavenly. Yes, you can. You speak louder. Yes, you may call me <laughs> Heavenly DeVera or any name you choose. Heaven, so very quickly, when people are new to podcasts, we look, here's the thing. This is an honor. Thank you. No, no, not, no, yeah, was that, that's the right way. <laughs> <laughs> this is an honor. <laughs> for, um, you. for you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> we don't have new people on the horror show. We've established, uh, we have myself, we have Alex, and we have Justin. We had Lee for one series. He dropped in, but he mm-hmm. dropped out pretty quick. He was watching The Purge and was like, fuck this shit. <laughs> yeah. Bad so we have three guys, basically. Yeah. And then we have Katie, we have Ali, and we have Christina. And Shannon. And Shannon, who has now joined, actually. That's true. Yeah. So we have, I, you know what? When I said stuff, I lied to your face. And that's going to happen a few times each podcast. We do introduce new people. We introduce Shannon. Shannon had been on the regular show a few times, though. Yeah. And she's definitely a stalwart of our lives. Yeah. Heaven's fairly fresh to our lives. So we're trusting her early and quick for reasons we'll get into in a second. But hello, if you're new to us, welcome. Please go to weirdgeeks.com. We can patch out to all the previous podcasts. And we've done about 74 of them. A series. Oh, a series. Oh, more episodes. We've done hundreds of episodes. Yeah, we've done lots I mean, of episodes. We should probably quit, but oh. here we are, starting another one. Uh, and we did quit for a few weeks, so I apologize. But yeah, also go to iTunes and type in Weird Geeks there. Find us. Where are we coming up now? Are those friendly little cartoon ladies still there? Um, if you type in We Are Geeks, I think we are first. No. You guys are. No. I mean, he's about to look disappointed. Let as me Alex check. types we it, I are promise you. Geeks. Look it up. First. Oh, cartoon ladies sunk. Thank you. That means you people on who are listening to us on who are listening to us are appreciating this beautiful grammar and are taking the time to rate us five out of five, but not many ratings. Go on, rate us. It helps us out. Go and write a little review and do subscribe. It's the only way you can help us because we do this for free. We don't do any banner ads. We're not going to do patrons and we're not going to try and sell you any uh, any, um... He tuned out. <laughs> He's completely gone. Slacks. Slack. Slack. <laughs> Heaven, you're jumping in. I appreciate exactly. it. That's fantastic. Rescuing Alex. Alex, from- yeah. I, uh, I'm talking to third person. Yeah, I completely tuned out. I was looking at the podcast list and I was wondering when the Conjuring wrap-up is going to be dropping. 
So the Conjuring wrap up, um, whilst we're recording, hasn't quite dropped. But <laughs> by the time you hear this, it will have just gone up. Go. Which, thank you, Alex. Excellent segue. Took us a couple of weeks to Annabelle Comes Home and then it took us a couple of weeks to get to Conjuring wrap up. We had a few problems, uh, internal problems. Violence was done. Accusations were thrown. Mm-hmm. Christina left in a, just a tantrum. Shannon quit. Shannon so. quit. She's in therapy right now. Probably right now. I mean, it is 9.15 at night. Yeah. Probably still in by law. Yeah. Uh, Heaven looks a little scared, I don't want to lie. <laughs> she looks like she didn't know what she was getting into. Uh, Christina was good. We did promise you Christina was going to return this week. But no, she's dead to us. Uh, she opted in and then opted out with scheduling problems. So we had to bring in someone new. And we thought, you know what? Let's try and find someone, as we like to do, who's, who's as fresh to the series as possible. Everyone's seen one of these, Alexis. No one, no one hasn't seen a Blair Witch movie. Mm-hmm. If you're listening and you think, oh, no, but wait, I haven't. You probably have and you just forgot about it. Because I've done research and everyone's seen one. If you've forgotten about... I mean, I'll give you one film you can forget about in this series. But that's it. <laughs> well, we'll see because we're covering more. But anyway. So, yeah, we, we, we talked around. I have a new friend called Heavenly. Hello. <laughs> that's you. It is. We've worked together. You're an actor. We did like a little sizzle that we worked together. And then we've been mm-hmm. hanging out a little bit. And you're friendly and abusive. Uh, you showed me Absolutely. a Bumps video. Um, which I showed you art. I mean, I can't argue because it's objective, Alex, but it's a piece of trash and it's, it's terrifying. It's beautiful. Oh, and I will show you, Alex, I promise. Okay. Genuinely upsets me. You know that like generational <laughs> gap we were talking about mm-hmm. a few hours ago? It's one of those things where like, I can't relate to this in any way, shape or form. Although we did just watch the below thumb, mm-hmm. which is also terrifying. And beautiful. I wouldn't disagree. So I haven't. Yes. We are hopefully becoming friends. We're, we're going to find out. This is really the litmus test. Is this podcast? This is my trial by fire. Yeah. We'll see what happens. If you get okay. out, the, come out at the end of this series and you still want to be friends with either of us, then it's a success. And you have problems. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> yeah. Then that's, uh, that's, that's your life. That's your problem. That's your problem. Thank you. But very, very quickly, because we've got a lot to get through on this episode, sort of, and a lot not to get through as well. But yeah, we'll explain in a moment. Let's tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. So who is Heavenly? Well, I love surfing. I'm scared of birds bigger than I am, specifically emus. I was attacked, that, is, that is fair. Mm-hmm. I was attacked by an emu in like the fourth grade at Girl Scout camp. And um, I think my favorite fast food chain is Taco Bell. And I say that with shame. Yeah, you should. Oh, well, Alex is frozen up in fear. <laughs> Never happened before on one of these shows. What's one of your favorite films? One of my favorite films of... Uh, Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> I panicked. Yes. We have yeah. a Star Wars fan in the house. I'm well, very happy. Well, Star Wars something. In <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm glad you're being open and honest with people. Um, and what you. kind of music do you like to listen to? I listen to all kinds. My favorite band right now is Rainbow Kitten Surprise. Rainbow so. Kitten Surprise? They're really good, though. No, I'm not. I, that was a question mark. I wasn't. Hey. Ow. Calm fucking good. Down. You old man. I am an old man. I've never heard of them. Rainbow <laughs> Kitten. Oh, no, I'm looking this up. I'm looking this up right now. What do you reckon is going to be on the cover, Alex? A rainbow kitten? Mm. Almost. I'm on it. And it's pink. Did rainbow I say pink? I meant black. Kittens Wait, is there a kitten on the record? I actually don't know. Well, I mean, there are multiple records, so he's got a few chances to get it right. One's just a face. One's two chairs. Yep. Said that. It's basically, basically a kitten. A surprise. One's a man at a microphone and one's just the word seven plus Mary. I think there's a rainbow on that one. There's like rainbow colors in the font. Oh, oh and sort of a rainbow kitten there. 
in the yeah. bottom right corner. Yeah. Yeah. Alex, longtime fan. Yep. Glad you've both got something to bond with. Thank you. I love that album too. Do you ever play any of those video games? Play what video games? Any. Yes. I played all of like the Star Wars, like Old Republic when I was younger. I was really into Wii Sports when I was kind of chubby. And um, <laughs> I play Tetris when I'm stressed, but I can't get past level five. That, I mean. All correct answers. Those are great. Those are great. You. You, you, I mean, and you are a serious Star Wars fan. Just to be clear, it yes. might be the wrong Star Wars. That's, you, know, you know, there is no wrong Star well, Wars. Well, no, objectively there are. So but, what's your favorite Star Wars game? Sorry, wrong franchise. Right. <laughs> I'll open a can of worms if I start asking you questions. Yeah. Moving on. <laughs> I've just got a GameCube actually in that Rogue Leader 2. Ooh, was it? Yeah. That was a good game. Yeah. Those were great games. What's happening? Rogue the Blair Squadron. Witch. Thank you, Heaven. We broke Squadron. Thank you. Heaven, thank you for introducing us. I think we all know you a little bit better now. Alex yeah. is also new to you this evening, so that's been illuminating for him. And every time we bring up Star Wars, I'm like, she's just really cool. I'm excited we could bond over Star Wars and it. Rainbow Kitten Surprise. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, so we're going to be talking about Blair Witch. It's going to get a little complicated. So we've never done one like this before, and here's where it's going to get weird. We're doing six episodes before we even get to the wrap up, Alex. Six episodes? Six Does episodes. Does there's six films now? Because I've only counted three. Well, technically there's seven. Fuck off. I but thought I... there was only one. <laughs> All right, so most people, like, we tend to like to do franchises over four films. We needed something new to do. A lot of stuff that was left over, we weren't really feeling. Mm. And then I just pitched to you in the text and I was like, what if we do Blair Witch? And you and I are big Blair Witch fans. Yeah. And you were intrigued. And then I kept adding films <laughs> in the roster of how many we're going to mm. do. Because here's the thing. And I'm going to map them out. Normally I'd map out all of them. This time I'm, I'm going to leave a question mark over one week's episode. If that's okay. That's okay with me. It's very exciting. It's also okay with me. Everyone heard consent has happened. Yeah. Yes. Episode one. Today we're going to be talking about Curse of the Blair Witch. Now... 45 minutes long. We wouldn't normally cover something like that. That would be seen as extracurricular activity. However, I do think it's a very important part. It's the first part. Like normally something like that would come later. This is the mm-hmm. first thing out in public to do with the Blair Witch. Because I think with this franchise, all that extracurricular expanded stuff outside of the films is very, very important in creating the fabric and the lore. Agreed. Of this franchise. Yeah, it's, it's a universe mm-hmm. around this this one film, really. Yeah. And we're going to get to it next week, how important that is or how unimportant it is. And one of the reasons, I, again, I'm excited to have Heaven here is like, yeah, both these films curse. Next week, we're going to go to The Blair Witch Project. Uh, both of them, 99 is when they came out. Heaven was pretty young in those days. I was two years old. Pretty young. <laughs> Me and Alex were a smidge older. <laughs> Barely. But, you know, Tad. Um, but no, I mean, like, we're in like the zeitgeist years oh, for yeah. when those came out. Like they were like formative teenage mm-hmm. things for us. Am I correct? No, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So that's going to be interesting next week. Game changer for me. So like that different perspective, I think is going to be really interesting. Yeah. Just to be clear. Actually, no, we'll do it. Yeah. Then the next week, we're going to do something called the, what I've called affectionately the black books. So the black books are actually going to be two documentaries, both about 40 minutes long. Uh, one's called The Burkittsville 7, and the other's called Shadow of the Blair Witch. And they are similar to Curse of the Blair Witch. They are documentaries that were made to basically market Blair Witch 2, Book of Shadows. I have not seen those two before, I will say I now. I think I may have seen them. Have you? Yeah, because I thought I hadn't seen Curse of the Blair Witch, but I had. But I can't remember if I had seen this before the film was released or if I had seen it after. Yeah, and I think... same with those. Well, we'll get into chronology in a minute. I think you would have seen it afterwards, but... <laughs> I've never seen it. I didn't know they did that for the second film because we'll get there, but it's not that kind of film. 
So that's what we're going to be doing that week. So that's, that is going to be a feature length episode, really. And I'll be honest, I'm kind of dreading it, <laughs> but we'll see. The week after that, of course, week four, Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2. Can't wait. The classic. Uh, Sex in the Woods, Heaven. Ooh. Spoilers. Well. Spicy Blair Witch. You've got to give us something to look forward to. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next week after that, big question mark. I'm not going to say what it is, but a special thing. Special cast. Special cast. The week after that. Blair Witch, the Adam Wingard film, the new one that came out three years ago now, I think 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, is that three years? Yeah. Is that recent? Yeah. yeah. How did I totally miss this coming out? Oh, you're probably too busy rewatching Revenge of the Sith. Exactly. <laughs> that's what I say. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then the wrap up. So that's going to be seven episodes, mm-hmm. six movies, but not really movies. And that's where it's going to get weird because we've never covered anything like this. Covering found footage itself can be a bit tricky. It was fine on the Rex series we did because I think they just, they feel like movie movies. Mm-hmm. Blair Witch itself, which we'll get to next week, it's a, it feels a lot more real than Rex. Oh, yeah. I mean, even this yeah. feels very real. Well, that, but that's what I mean. It's like even the tentpole ones, well, particularly the first one, I think maybe Book of Shadow, we'll see when we get there. But three of the films, sure, we can handle them normally. But in between, we're going to have three films, which are like we're covering this week, maybe sort of documentary stuff which is weird and different and how do we deal with that i don't know so you're going to be learning as we go along if you are a new time listener to us and you hate this episode go and listen to a different one yeah <laughs> just start from next week yeah yeah and then maybe ignore the one after that and then just do every other week yeah. if you want to i was going to say something i forgot oh and professionals we're potentially going to be visiting the game that is going to be coming out yeah so this is i mean and this is part of the reason we did this August the 30th, the video game comes out. It's looking pretty cool. Mm -hmm. I'm excited. Alex is terrified. I hate horror games. I mean, I love horror films, horror games. Oh, my God. And you're going to make me play it. And you're probably going to film it. Yeah, that's going to happen. And then our listeners can watch that film. Yeah. (laughs) um, Or you can find that footage somewhere. Yeah, we'll hide it under a house somewhere. We did a great thing with you one time when you played PT and you had a little heart monitor on. Yeah, what was that for? Just torture? We were doing my birthday, some... I think. Yeah. <laughs> it was a treat. You're like, what do you want? I want you to fucking play PT with the lights off. We'll sit yeah. behind you, put an art monitor on, wear headphones. That's uh, And you all stayed quiet behind me. Uh, yeah. And I wasn't allowed to turn around. PT is maybe the scariest thing. Full stop. <laughs> it's pretty nasty. <laughs> <laughs> so, what else is happening? Yes, 20 years, guys. This year... It's 20 years since the Blair Witch Project. Another big reason to drop this cast. I was like, this is a great time to do it. Let's have a celebration. I can't believe it's been 20 years. It hurts my soul. Mm-hmm. But there you go. I remember it very vividly. I'm sure we'll talk about this in the next episode when I went to see Blair Witch. With my friend Nick, who I mention a lot mm. in the Star Wars podcast. Doesn't, he doesn't exist, but let's let him have his fun. Sounds uh, good. Uh, you, yeah, you're a friend Nick. Yeah. Sounds great. You have your friend. nerdy friend. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, so we are normally would now go into box office and we would go into the horror films that came out that year. But since both this and the, the film next year, sorry, next year, next week, the Blow Witch Project itself both came out within a week of each other, really. We're going to be doing all that next week. We don't want to repeat it. So this week, we're actually going to be delving in. And if you've listened to next week and you're coming back, because we're going to tell you, we're going to give you all the info. We're going to give you all that build up. I'm going to be talking a lot and I'm already terrified because I'm feeling tired, Alex. Yep. But I'm going to do all that chatting. I'm going to walk us through. Mm-hmm. Let's chat through how they got to making the Blair Witch Project because it's fucking important. I think it's like, even if people hate this movie, it's a crucial point, not just in horror, but in independent filmmaking. Oh, yeah. And what was possible. And then the changeover to the digital age, both in film and just in marketing. So I'm excited to like walk through a little bit of what that journey was. I've done a lot of research. I've read a lot of 
things and there have been stuff recently that's come out that have really added to understanding what happened with this film which i didn't know about so i think it's cool and we're gonna look at that and then we're gonna talk about curse of blair which was gonna be probably pretty quick this 45 minute thing and then next week we'll come back and we won't do this preamble you probably won't learn that much about how they made it because we're gonna do that now but you'll get to learn about the film and our feelings love it sounds good tell us al how did they make this film all right so (laughs) Let's start way back in Cuba, 1968. Really? Yeah. Hmm. I rest my case. (laughs) Eduardo Sanchez, born in Cuba, 1968, and he went to live in Spain at just two years old, moved to America at five, started doing television production in 11th grade, and made his first feature film at Montgomery College in Maryland in 1989 at just 21 years old. Wait a minute. Montgomery College? Montgomery College. Is that the college they go to? It is, my friend. It is. As in the characters from the Blair Witch Project? Exactly. Well picked up on already. Love uh, it. <laughs> it was called Video All and was shot completely on VHS. He then went to university, a Central Florida film program, and made his second feature in 1992 at 24 years old, this time shot in black and white, 16mm. It was called Gabriel's Dream, but it was never sold for distribution and it's really hard to find. Meanwhile, we have another guy. He's called Daniel Myrick. Uh, he was born in 1963, so a little bit older. Was always passionate about photography. At 11 years old, he got his first 35mm photography kit. And then he built his own dark room in his bathroom. Love it. He also went to university at Central Florida. Met old uh, Ed uh, in the first semester. By the second semester, they were already working together. They made numerous short films, writing, directing, and also acting in them. Um, And then their first co-directed short was called Fortune in 1990. And it features a fortune teller, a voodoo curse, and a witch. Oh, I see all the pieces all of a Chucky film. <laughs> also very Cuban. 1991. Ed and Dan are hanging out with some friends at film school, having some drinks. Picture this, Evan, if you can. I know you just went to film school. Try can it. you imagine this? Let us know back if times in have changed. 19, when did you say? 91. 91. Take yourself back there. Can you imagine? That was when uh, World War II was occurring, right? That is correct. Hitler awesome. was at large. Hey, guys. Uh, <laughs> uh, what do you think of Back to the Future 3? Everyone traveled by blimp. <laughs> I had a dream the other night, actually, that Justin was arranging travel for me and Katie, and we turned up, and he's like, don't worry, guys, I got the cheapest blimp I could. I love it. <laughs> I was terrified. Ed and Dan were hanging out with some friends at film school. They're chatting about horror films, as well as real-life documentaries. So at the time, that time, in early 90s, um, there were a lot of, and it's still are now, but there were a lot of documentaries to do with the occult, to do with UFOs. We're about mm-hmm. to enter the X-Files era. Yep. It was a point where people fascinated with the unknown. Bigfoot. Yep, there was a show called um, Unsolved Mysteries, which was hosted by a guy called Robert Stack, which dealt with a lot of missing person cases, but also had some like episodes that dealt with supernatural stuff in the occult. I remember really cool watching that when I was like really, really little. Like I'd watch it like my uncle or my grandfather. Like there's specifically like the Bigfoot ones. Like I just remember like that. my childhood was all these like really weird, grainy, scary occult documentaries. Love it. There was a lot of that, yeah, throughout the 80s and then going into the early 90s. Um, and they were really deranged. So they were talking about all that stuff and talking about when they were younger and watching all those documentaries and how it really spooked them. And they're kind of trying to say, like, why, why weren't films freaking them out as much as they used to? Why were these things so much scarier? And they kind of really hemmed it down to it's because these things were saying that it, it was real. They were saying Bigfoot was real. They were saying these UFO encounters were real. Mm-hmm. And they weren't trying to trick them with anything. Well, they were. But, <laughs> you know, they were serving it up um, as something you could actually relate to. So they started to have this idea for a film that would be a single shot uh, in a creepy house. And you'd follow the protagonist through the house 
and into a cellar where something creepy would happen. They weren't sure what. But they knew you had to end the film in the cellar. I see what's happening here. I see what's forming. <laughs> so they came up with this idea of a 200-year-old legend about an outcast, a cursed town, and a series of unexplained disappearances. More on that later. I see the seeds Put A little here. pin in that. 1993. <laughs> they co-produced a feature called The Black Chapters, and it consisted of three shorts. Salvation, Resurrection, and Upstairs Man. <laughs> Wait, it was called Upstairs Man? <laughs> yes. Yeah, presumably, he lived upstairs. Uh, they wrote and directed a short each, along with a guy called Greg Hall, or how I don't know how you say H A L E. H A L E. Yeah. Hale. Hale. There you go. Yeah. I've been mispronouncing. <laughs> I was mispronouncing on our previous series, which I love so much. You kept saying Michael Chaves. I would like Chavez. to see evidence that it isn't Chaves, and it is, I mean that it isn't Chaves. It's hard to. It's hard to prove. It's not Chaves. Okay. So yeah, this film, sadly, the Plague Chapters, was abandoned during post-production. Which is always painful when you shoot it all. And then you're just like, ah, this isn't working. <laughs> Don't have the money. Leave it. So then they, Dan went to work as a DP and an editor on a couple of local features and expanded his commercial client base so he could bring in Ed and Greg. And the three of them started doing things just in the local area, essentially. All right, all right. Ed and Dan were still talking about that real, inverted commas, uh, horror film that they'd come up with a couple Remember of years Remember that early. real horror film we came up with? Remember that one with the basement? Yeah. They realized just for our listeners. That was chilling. They realized that the first thing to do was they needed to create a fictional world for their story. They needed a backstory for their witch and the history of what was happening. So they kept developing it. Meanwhile, their fellow filmmaker friend, Greg Hale, as yep. we now know, yep. he had moved away. He had moved to Los Angeles to do film. After being at film school with Dan and Ed, he had stayed in touch with Dan um, and he was working now as a set dresser on a TV show. And then he went to see 12 Monkeys. Interesting. Great, great film. Uh, do you know 12 Monkeys? I don't know 12 Monkeys, actually. It. Fucking great. It was actually a turned of TV show recently that was bad. Uh, well, not terrible. It wasn't good. This is a 12 Monkeys TV show? Yeah. Interesting. Don't recommend. Uh, the film's great. Great. I mean, the, the twists won't work as well now because you are brought up on that stuff more than we were at the time. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a Terry Gilliam film and it's very, very good. I'll have to check that out. Bruce Willis in one of his best ever roles, for sure. Definitely his most challenging role, I think. Uh, you got Brad Pitt. You sold me. Yeah. All playing monkeys. Oh, <laughs> that's two of the 12 monkeys. Uh, sort of not incorrect. Anyway, he saw that movie and he was like, you know what? I need to be for making fucking movies because I want to make stuff like this. Right. So he moved away from LA. He's like, you know what? I want to do. I want to make movies. <laughs> so he flew and moved back to Florida. Get out of this town. So he could work with Dan. Now, eventually Dan mentioned the idea that they had for this spooky movie. They're not in college at this point. No, no. Sorry. They've left college. Right. They stayed in that area working just in the local, local industry. Right. Greg moved to LA. He's like, you know what? I need to make movies. Fuck LA. Yeah. Let's go back to Florida. That's where it's at. Mm -hmm. But I really love that. Like, it makes me so happy when you think of, you know, no, I just want to be with my friend who they're going to do something and I want to yeah, be yeah. doing it with them. So he just like flew back there, lived there. Dan then mentions to Greg, this is our idea while they're working on a separate feature. Um, and then Greg gets really excited. He loves it. So he starts pushing this witch film into production. And it's really because of him that the Blair Witch Project happened. Everyone knows Daniel. Everyone knows Edward. Greg is really the one who was like, no, let's, fuck, let's just do this. So he put in a bit of his own money. He set up an office. They began pitching things. Um, and he would tell the story to the people he's pitching to as if it was real. They wouldn't say this was, they would say like, this actually happened. Here's the history. We've got these tapes. We want to like put this together. Wait, 
So like they didn't tell anyone distributors, like anyone they're pitching to that. Well, we'll get there with distributors. But when you're just pitching it to people to try and get money to get people involved with the film. Yeah, they were just treating it like it was real. And people were overwhelmingly positive with it because who wouldn't want to be involved with a snuff movie? (laughs) So Greg then put the first money into film. He paid for travel. He paid for some auditions. And he's the guy. So he had spent time in the army. Yeah. And he was recalling that he had to do a week long. It's called Escape and Evasion where you get left in the woods with a small team and then you're forced to move from point to point at night with basically no food, basically no water, you're not getting any sleep. And then at the end of the week, you get ambushed and taken away for a simulated interrogation. And because of the deprivation of everything... That's like like an an army training thing? Yeah. And he's like, because of deprivation, he's like, the fear was intense. He was like, that was real fear. And he was like, if you want to do something really scary, that's what you have to do. And that's what we're going to have to put our actors through. So this guy really like brought a lot of the stimulation that was going to make this. So let's get non-union actors. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And the trio decided then, okay, this is what we have to do. We have to do this to our actors to get real fear out of them and not be faking it. So one of the people Greg pitched the film to was a guy called Robin Cowie. I think it was a guy. It could be a girl actually, Robin Cowie. Sorry. Sorry, Robin. No, it was a guy. He had worked with Dan as a DP at university. Um, so another person from this film school. And had since graduated and he had begun doing business, doing corporate and commercial videos. So he was a little bit more involved with the business side of, of stuff. So Rob fucking loved this idea and jumped on board. And he had the knowledge to run the business side, setting up a plan for everything, hiring attorneys, setting out to find the investors um, and putting in some of his own money as well. Then the last member of the key team was a guy called Michael Manello. Who had also gone to the same film school and worked with Ed and Dan previously. He helped with investor tapes, mock news stories, and then came fully on board after phase one had been shot. And he really became integral because here's the thing. We've got all these like things already, which are so important. We've got their original, their initial idea for getting back to this documentary kind of feel. We've got this guy coming in with his army training and doing these ideas for how we're going to treat the actors and just abuse them. <laughs> and then Rock we've and got roll. this businessman coming in and going, no, you know what? We need, to, um, we need to get creative with how we're doing the marketing. And that's going to pass back and forth between a few of them because right at this cusp. He became difficult because he had worked on the Florida Film Festival and knew this guy called John Pearson, who was a filmmaker who had a TV series called Split Screen, which would end up being the first show, I believe, to air a segment of the mythology of the missing students. This was going to be something pretty early on, but it was going to start embedding this is what's happened out there and show these little clips um, from the history. Yeah, cool. Okay. So they were really going to like start saturating it. This is real. We're going to present it as real. And then he gradually became more and more involved, handling contracts, marketing strategies, and helping with the distribution. So they had the key five. We've got Dan, we've got Ed, Greg, Robin, and Mike. And they became called the Haxon Five, which is known as Haxon Films or whatever they're called in the production. Named their company Haxon after a Swedish Danish silent film. The word Haxon literally means witch. And the Haxon spelled? H-A-X-A-N. Okay. And they, the, the sign of film was called Hacks and Witchcraft for the Ages. And you can actually watch it. It's on YouTube. It's like an hour and 45 minutes. Quite intensely wow. long for a silent movie. Made in 1922. Oh, man. And it was made in a documentary style. You have... So when people are talking about found footage and people are oh, Blair Witch wasn't the first one. It was Cannibal Holocaust or it was this and that. It goes way back. Like people were faking documentary stuff in yeah, 1922 even. And they were aware of that. They knew they weren't the first. They just were like, this hasn't been done in a long time. And it hasn't been done. They didn't think in the way that it could be done, you know? And obviously when you look at it from 1922, it doesn't look like a Blair Witch film. It's not candid like that. It's very staged. But yeah, there's like dramatized moments and documentary sections dealing with demons and witchcraft. So you got these five. They've got their company now. Is people tired of my voice yet? Are we good? No, no. 
I'm watching Haxton. <laughs> <laughs> he actually is watching Haxton. It's a good find. They brainstormed and then they've come up with this full back history of someone called Ellie Kedwood. And, well, Rustin Parr we're going to get to, Rustin. but I guess Ellie Kedwood. Uh, was the witch of the town of Blair. And they began production under a working title. They tried the Black Hills Project. They tried the Black Witch Tapes. But for a while, in the initial phase at least, they settled on the woods. Do you remember why that's relevant? We'll get there. Ed had been to Montgomery College, as Alex already astutely picked up on. Mm -hmm. So they took that as where those filmmakers would come from. And his sister went to a place called Blair High School. So they took the Blair Mm. from that. They then placed it over Burkittsville. Pretended it used to be called Blair. It did not. Spoilers. This is all fake, Evan. (gasps) Why are you ruining the movie for me? It genuinely does a bit. I was partly watching Curse of Blair Witch and I was like, obviously we all know it's fake, but it's nice when part of your brain thinks, well, maybe some of these legends are true about the town. I was scared watching it. It's all bullshit. Just, yeah, I got goosebumps right Yeah. Now. It's 1996, guys. They're beginning the audition process. It's going to take over a year and a thousand auditions before they're going to find their three. And the first they find is Joshua Leonard. He eventually then helps them find Heather Donahue and Michael Williams. They have a proposed budget of just $25,000. That's it. And they decide to produce a footage reel, or it's like a sizzle, basically, to help get investors. So they made this eight-minute short called The Blair Witch Project, Story of the Black Hills Disappearances. It teased the history, the missing students, and then Haxon Films getting the footage and being allowed to do stuff with it. Most investors also believed that this was real. So they got really excited. They got an investment pretty quickly, and again, it's $25,000. And then they had some payments from Split Screen who were airing two TV segments on, on the footage. So they got a little money from that. October 1997, they shoot the first part of the film. And they spent most of the months in the woods planning what locations the actors would be using, setting things up. They even spent a night in the derelict house that would become Ellie Kedwood's house. Ooh, that yeah. house is an actual yeah. house Did the they woods? find it? Oh, yeah. No, they didn't build the house. They dressed it, though. They yeah. did a lot to it. But, yeah, they found the house. There was a point where they nearly got shut down, by the way, in production because they weren't meant to be there in the park. Right. Um, and then, luckily, one of the... I forgot which producer. It might have been Greg. But someone knew someone who knew someone who was able to, like, get them around it and keep filming. But it could have just... The whole film could have just not happened because the one park officer found them was like, yeah. you shouldn't be here. But, yeah, they went to Derek House, spent a night there doing lighting tests. Greg dressed up as a ghost and ran around in the woods. <laughs> and they had a good fun time. Then Stephanie and Carolyn DeCassan came on board, as well as Julia Fair... Uh, to help uh, with the art, making stick men, doing rock piles. Ben then spent a lot of time prepping the house and creating new stick men, including the Chewbacca one, which is as he's known, which is the big fucking one. Yeah. We'll get to him next week. Yeah. Known as Chewbacca. I'm excited already. It all comes back. They begin filming October 23rd to October the 30th. Heather, knowing that she's going to be sleeping in a tent with two dudes she doesn't really know, brings a new hunting knife, just in case. <laughs> but the actors weren't told if the mythology of the witch was true or not. They did them dirty. So yeah. they spent a long time making sure that it weren't communicating properly to the actors and they're hiding stuff. And here's what they did. And again, we're going to get there next week. So it's going to make more sense when we get to next week. I wonder if she brought a hunting knife. <laughs> they, you might remember as we'll get to next week, they interview some people. They planted actors in the town of Burkittsville. Feeding them what they needed to be saying. They weren't I set didn't up. Know that. They literally like would find these people who would then tell them it's a story. And obviously part of the head's probably like, maybe this is set up, but how fucking far are these directors and producers going? Mm-hmm. So they really started to believe, okay, well, maybe we are in a place where there are these legends. It makes sense. I mean, when I even found out Blair Witch was fake, I still thought the legends were probably true. Yeah, I had a similar experience. All fake. So these people are then feeding them information, feeding them fear. They brought in GPS, which was brand new technology at the time. It's very hard for people to understand. GPS was army based only at that point. 
and they yeah greg had used it and in, in his army before training before used it for the actors to help guide them they would then come to waypoints where small 35 millimeter film tubes have been left for each of them with their initials on they're only allowed to read the note in their own one it gives them private instructions here's what you need to do here's what we need to yeah. see more of do this blah 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 again we'll cover it next week when we get there and then crew members would work in teams and take turns hiding in the woods following the actors building the rock formations cracking branches hanging stick men while they're sleeping playing tapes actual cassette tapes of crying children so when we're going to hear yeah. that stuff next week you think like why am i covering this now but it's because the the end of this brings us to curse of blair witch but yeah when you hear that stuff that's why it sounds so creepy is because they're really playing that stuff mm-hmm. in the woods this isn't overdubbed later it is sure boosted and mixed and blah 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 but but it's the real deal. So actually, in a, in a real life story, during the Vietnam War, a technique the Americans used because um, to play with um, traditional beliefs of the Vietnamese people and the Viet Cong who they were facing in this jungle warfare, they recorded this like chant or song, which was meant to be like the cry of some wood ghost woman oh really um and they would play it to deliberately terrorize and freak out their their enemies in the jungle yeah so it really is all like army based kind of tactics and how to interrogate and spook yeah i mean yeah i wish you could do this stuff to act as well (laughs) because it's great It's great. Anyway, but it didn't always work out. Day four, rain had slowed the production team down. The actors had actually been pushed quicker because of the rain. And then they arrive at a location and there's nothing set up for them. And they start panicking. They don't know what's going to happen. They start calling through. No one's picking up. Um, So they use the safe word, which was bulldozer. (laughs) And then they go to a nearby house, warm towels, hot drinks, get a telephone, call the production team, take them away to the motel, give them a day to dry off, come out of it. It's very interesting to think of as well. Like the bubbles burst for them, you know? They still don't know necessarily how much is real and how much is not, but they're able to just come out, Mm -hmm. be safe. The process then continues, and they finished principal photography on Saturday the 1st, November 1997. And this was a night of reshoots, and it was the final scene of the movie. So they did go obviously chronological um, for when you get to that spooky stuff at the end. So they all come away a little bit broken, just really a week of filming. That's basically it. And they have over 20 hours of footage to go through. So like many first-time filmmakers, they ran out of their money from doing the shoot. The 25000 was gone. And they decided they needed another 35000 for phase two. This phase was going to last for almost another year as they edited footage and shot more mythology for it. So it's important to remember at this point, their idea for the film wasn't the Blair Witch Project as we see it. The idea for the film was going to have interspersed documentary footage, which was giving you the myth telling you like the shows they used to grow up watching it's like mm-hmm. hey here's people being interviewed here's people talking about things and explaining stuff and pictures of books and everything we're going to see in curse of the blair witch so they're shooting a bunch of this stuff ed who had previously worked as a web designer which again heaven hard to believe but <laughs> that didn't happen back then 99 98 this is he didn't have web designers very like, very early days you guys still days. had to t- like type in www dot before your websites back then didn't you do we not yeah. anymore? Yeah, that's a it. rumor I heard yeah, I of back in the day. I genuinely still do that. Do you not have to? No. Do you oh. still do that? Yeah, of course. I, I mean, I don't do... I was still doing HTTP. I know. I don't do HTTP. I'm not a loser. <laughs> <laughs> I think I still do WWW. Yeah, I think I do too. You sure. just do it then? Yeah, I do. Yeah, we do it proper. 
It's like cursive. Otherwise, how will you know where to go? I'm pretty sure I've done it like not with WW and some sites aren't directing properly. And, and then I've been like, oh, well, then I'll just do WW on everything. Yeah. All right, heaven, don't look at us like terrible no. grandpas. You're not. Good grandpas. <laughs> I'll take it. But yeah, I mean, I had a friend, for instance, in film school when I was, I don't know, age myself, but yeah, when I was in my early 20s mm-hmm. and he was doing web design and they would make fucking shit. These were just rogue people, you know, they'll make shit ton of money off of businessmen because people are like, oh, we need a website. Apparently, how much does a website cost? No one knew because he just made it up. So uh, 20,000, <laughs> you know, and you could just charge them basically whatever you wanted to because. Yeah, but I mean, look at that. There's the original Blair Witch Project. If you go to BlairWitch.com slash project slash main you're going to find the original Blair Witch Project site still exists and it looks exactly how it did back yeah. in 98. So yeah, this is the thing. Ed, what's a website? Here's the idea. You know what? We should use a website as a marketing scheme. And I'm not going to say it hadn't been done at all. It hadn't been done successfully before. And this might have been the first one, really, to use it in a marketing scheme rather than just, oh, we have to have something. Because you didn't have to have something back then. It wasn't something people did. And this was revelatory. It was a game changer. I remember it. I mean, I don't even remember specifically how the kind of flow of all this marketing stuff certainly like ended my life, but I remember it kind of just slowly flooding in without really the the mention of the film initially, like with this website and kind of, yeah, as a, as a teenage kid, just getting really hooked into whatever this story was and that this idea that these kids had gone missing and they'd found this footage and then it was like oh fuck are we ever going to see it and like all this mythology is building building and then suddenly as the film approaches and then the revelation that we are going to see this footage and still not knowing if it was real or still still actually thinking it was real for me at that point because i hadn't seen any found footage films it was a game changer it really was yeah it's honestly very hard and again, it's another reason I'm happy here, Heaven, because I'm interested how the films affect you without all this stuff, because it's very hard to explain what it's like to be alive in 98, 99, mm-hmm. in a time when people don't have mobile phones, really, not as just general people walking around, mm-hmm. particularly not as teenagers, you don't have them. You can't Google things. Um, you can't go on a Wikipedia for things. You know, there's not a database of information anywhere and people aren't able to relay stuff easily. And we're still at a point where I was in the UK at this point. You're I was in Australia. And it takes a while. Like when America has something, it takes like six months, nine months, a year mm-hmm. before sure. a film gets over. And you wouldn't really have it spoiled for you. Can you imagine having a film a year later turning up and you don't know anything about it? Yeah. Because no one had a way to tell people about it. Unless a newspaper or a magazine talked about it. Didn't mm-hmm. happen. Then the incident starts to come around. You have some AOL chat rooms. Mm-hmm. Sure, some people might say some stuff in there, maybe. But you've got to dig for it. It's not going to be in your face. You've got to really search. Maybe you'll find something. Mm-hmm. This guy, this website... It's the Blair Witch Project was like, yeah, it, it's got mapped out all the dates of the history of the stuff that happened with Ellie Cadwood, with Rustin Parr, all the mythologies right there. And yeah, I remember pouring through it. You yeah, go like through all, it all the pictures thinking, and everything. You go through it all thinking like, what really happened? What's real? And they're telling you this is real. We'll get again more to it next week, our own personal experiences with things, because I think that's uh, tied into this. But anyway, it's very important. May 1998 is when the website went live. They then get their first cut of film. It's two hours, 30 minutes long. Oh, wow. And they needed some feedback. So they screened it at Enzian Theatre on 27th of June, 1998. And there's a guy called Kevin Fox there amongst the audience members. He was a filmmaker from LA and he was blown away by what he saw. And he comes on board as an executive producer and he puts them on the path to Sundance. The film was originally intended to have a documentary portion, like we said. 
including more information about things. Um, and after the screening, people were like, yeah, we need more info. Even at two and a half hours, like we don't really understand the history here and what's going on. So they start thinking, all right, we need to edit these scenes in, get that information there, shoot more material, uh, including a 16 millimeter reel of Rustin Parr in jail. Then Dan would work on his version of the film, which was going to have these scenes in to cut throughout. And then Ed was working on his version of the film where you start with the stuff, you know, here's all the mythology, and then you would go into the actual tapes. But neither of them were really working. So they sent it all to Kevin in LA. He said, what do you think? And he said, you've wasted your time. The original version was much better. We just need it shorter. So they were strong enough, which I really admire at that point where you put in time and money and effort and like think of the effort and all that extra yeah. content to say, all right, let's get rid of it. So they cut it all out, edited the film down 100 minutes, screened it again at their old film school back in Florida where everyone had met, got a bit more um, feedback and then cut it down to 87 minutes. October 23rd, 1998, a film called The Last Broadcast comes out. So this is a film that, much in the same way Halloween is seen as this like icon. A couple of years before that, Black Christmas came out. And Halloween stole a lot from Black Christmas. And people get grumpy sometimes with Halloween about that. But that's how things are. People steal things. A lot of people were upset with Blair Witch. People who are real, like real horror fans, deep cut. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, but The Last Broadcast did it first. And they did. They came out October 23rd, 1998. We were watching a bit of it when you came in heaven with the- That's what that was. That's what that was. Now, the time, what's important with this, part of the reason we walked through this is it's very important to see they were very much on their own track and have been for many, many years. It's purely a coincidence. It's of course it's gonna happen. We're at that point in, you know, in history where things were changing and it was becoming inevitable that we're gonna get movies like this. The live broadcast, yeah, I rewatched it. It's, and I'd seen it like years and years ago. It's fine. It's not that great. If it had been the only one, it would be very important. It would be. That film does what they were originally intending with Blair Witch. It's taking the actual footage of people in the woods. It's colder. There's some snow and stuff. And it's to do with the Jersey Devil. And then they intercut it with the interviews with people. Some of it's convincing. Uh, some of it's quite funny. Unfortunately, they have a lead guy who's the dullest motherfucker. <laughs> like, he's just so monotone right. and just so unengaging. Damn. That it's really hard to attach to it. But it is. it should be noted. You know, and there were reports of people seeing um, Ed and Dan coming out of screenings of the last broadcast. And at the time, I remember reading that as in, oh, they came out and stole from it. And I was fine with it because I was like, well, they took what they did and did it better. Yeah, yeah. Seems like the truth is they were very, they were heavily in editing at that point. Mm-hmm. And they came out probably going, oh, fuck, someone else already did this and it didn't work, which might have helped them have the courage to say, let's cut all of these interview footage out. Yeah. Because it didn't really work in the last broadcast. They submit the film. And they get into Sundance. Saturday, January 23rd, 1999, they had a midnight slot at Sundance. Nearly 200 people had to be turned away from the screening. They didn't allow the actors to come because they wanted to keep up the pretense that they were dead. They put up missing posters all over, which then had to be taken down because somebody actually went missing. (laughs) Sorry, shouldn't laugh. (laughs) Oh, man. uh, And then at 3 a.m. after their screening at midnight. So when maybe they finished, you know, by the time of preamble, those things always start late. It's going to be two probably by the time it finishes. An hour later, Greg rings up Dan and Ed, who have already gone to bed. Say, hey, I'm talking to Artisan Entertainment and they want to buy our movie for distribution. He would call back every half an hour to tell them what was going on in this conversation. By 6 a.m., they were confirmed that they were being bought for distribution for $1.1 million. (laughs) Now, for people who don't know, obviously every deal could be different. That's just a buyout. They're going to get a percentage of the actual revenue, obviously. Mm -hmm. But that's a nice, sweet thing from your, oh, yeah. what's that? 35 plus, four, plus 25, 
So you're talking about a $60,000 movie. Mm -hmm. They're getting $1.1 straight away within a few hours of premiering. But Artisan didn't like the ending. So they said, Le, we're going to finance some reshoots and we want you to do different endings. They shot four alternate endings. They shot more mythology footage. Uh, and ultimately, they looked at it all and were like, none of this works either. Ed and Dan weren't happy with it. They just came to Artisan and said, no, we want to fight for our original ending. We believe that that's the best ending for this. Artisan said, we're going to lose money if we go out with that ending. It's too bleak, too obscure. But like, no, we want to do this. Uh, so they did a couple more edits and they did a dramatic change to the sound mix. And then a new 82 minute version was complete. And it went to Cannes, where it won the Prix de Jeunesse. I don't know how you pronounce it. So they did adjust the ending slightly? No, not the ending. They did some little edits still with the film. Tightened it up a little bit and did a big sound mix change. Definitely. Did they do a sound mix like change on the entire film or just the ending? The whole film. The whole film. But it's really like getting those levels again, getting those babies maybe crying a bit louder, just beefing it up a little bit, you know, getting those cracks of the the branches we're going to get to next week. Oh, God, I'm getting spooked just thinking about it. But it go from fucking Sundance, here's 1.1 million, to now you're going to win the world it can. Yeah. Like for this little fucking crazy movie Mm -hmm. that really shouldn't have worked. After Cannes, they worked on re-editing all the Phase 2 footage into Curse of the Blair Witch. And here we are. Finally, guys, we got, <laughs> we got the road. It's tricky, that's what I mean. Normally, you wouldn't do it like this, but we have to talk about next week's movie to talk about this week's movie, because that's where all that footage came from. It was meant to be in the film. That makes sense. Yeah, and we can talk about whether we prefer it or not next week, but... It aired on July the 11th, 1999, and sent America into a bit of a hysteria over the upcoming film, which was going to premiere just three days later. Can you imagine that? Mm -hmm. Three days. That's intense. So the Blair Witch Project then premiered in New York City on July the 14th, 1990. uh, The days, sorry, 1999, uh, the day after Josh's Blair Witch mix came out. You remember that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the hype around this was huge at the time. Insane. And it was that, I just remember conversations with friends and, and family of just like having arguments on whether it was real or not. Yes. Um, because there was just so much stuff, yeah, coming out that was so well-crafted, so, so well-crafted and put together that, yeah, it was very easy to question that. And which could only happen at that time. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the thing, again, like, you could not do any of this now. You couldn't. And we'll be getting into that more next week. Like, so we're going to leave a little, little cliffhanger there. Okay. Because we're right on the eve of when it's about to come out and then what's going to happen after that. But we've, we've got to curse. We've got to curse. And that's what we're covering now, guys. <laughs> so it's a long road to a weird film that shouldn't really exist. And it's not really a film. It's essentially a marketing ploy. That's what this is. This is a mm-hmm. fucking trailer for 45 minutes mm-hmm. to say, hey, our movie's coming out in three days. Go and see it. Let's see if that works for us, shall we? I'm tired of talking. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing great. Thank yeah. You. So much info. Whew. Honestly, man, I read so much and it was so nice. Like a lot of it I knew before, but like there were little things in there which were really interesting to see the other people who created stuff, where your ideas came from and just the timeline, how long it had been. I thought it was quite a quick process. That was a long journey for them. So guys, Curse of the Blair Witch. It opens, <laughs> I find this kind of weird. So we open with 1785, seven children, they're telling us straight away, seven children in Blair, Maryland accused Ellie Kedwood of witchcraft. She was banished in the middle of winter. They thought she died, but the next year, all of her accusers, half the town's children vanish. The whole township fled and vowed to never utter her name again. And then we start this weird documentary mm-hmm. with spooky music and titles coming up. And I'm trying to remember, Alex, was this how those documentaries were back then? Because maybe it was. Because in my head, I'm like, if you're trying to purport that this is real and, hey, go see our thing in three days time. It's not a movie. This is like an important, incredible bit of evidence that we've curated. Yeah, yeah. 
this to me from the beginning of this reeks of that like oh we got like spooky music and weird titles and it feels like it feels like it's fake you know but the more i get into this the more i'm like that's kind of genius yeah i didn't have i uh, for me uh, the, the the feeling was it felt real immediately and maybe because it, it was an echo of those types of shows that i remember growing up and watching that would deliberately play the yeah the spooky music and have the slow kind of monotone voice mm-hmm. but those shows again like never flinched from what like never flinched from the fact that what they were talking about was real and this plays exactly in that same line and there's something about this sort of pre-digital age when you're getting like when you're seeing it on film and grainy kind of handheld footage where it's just like oh it, it felt it felt real it felt real and even in points as we progress through this where i was just like yeah where i'm stepping back and going okay it's not real this is something that they've made but that they've cast perfectly because we've talked we talked about this when we did the rec series the the challenge with found footage is getting people getting actors not to act on screen and when that happens that's when that magic kind of happens when when it feels real and you're seeing just real people and throughout this like even the people that kind of maybe stumble along their words or seem a little awkward it seems a genuine fit to who that person mm-hmm. is so i was constantly being pulled into like this is all real and, and that's me watching it now yeah even knowing what you know yeah even though i don't know i have to agree with alex on that actually i mean this is my first like i only thought there was one Blair Witch movie and I wasn't aware of any of like this whole like lore and this kind of like you know how much work they've done with like just all of it that was something that was like really striking for watching this was I totally understood for the first time ever why people thought this was real because I was genuinely getting scared watching even just like this curse of the Blair Witch and it was so like I mean even in the beginning they had the narrator doing the speak she had an Irish accent Mm mm-hmm yeah. And I was like, they're, they're so detailed. Like, it's weird to think because, you know, you guys grew up in the 90s. Like, oh, like, this is the reality of, like, what all film looked like back then. But for me, I've only been like, oh, I remember seeing films from the 90s to me. Like, oh, this seems period accurate, which is kind of crazy to think about because only the 90s. But, like, all the lighting, like, the grayness, like, the actors are really good. Yeah. Like, I totally believe these were just random people they felt, you know, sure. grabbed off the street. And I'm not, and from, I mean, we'll get there when we get to the end credits, because I think the end credits are important in all of these, how they're like, you know, signing off on things. But I don't, I think they're all the actual people. Like, not like, you know, I think it is his actual brother who's talking, and it is the yeah. actual grandfather it, I, I was, I was paying attention to that, because there was only one Actually, we'll get there, because I think that's who was mentioned as a weird a decision. Person. Yeah. But yeah, and another thing with this documentary as we go through is, and when we start talking about the different parts that they have made, there were moments when I, yeah, would take a step back and, and just can't help but be impressed by the filmmakers to create all these different like timelines and different mm-hmm. styles of film within this mini documentary itself mm-hmm. and have it all feel cohesive and part of this, this uh, law and this mythology. Yeah. It's really fucking impressive. No, I think it's... And what's fascinating is like, okay, so heaven, let's say this comes out now. Like, you know, let's say something like this out now. What's the very first thing you're doing when you're even two minutes into it and you're starting to feel creeped out? What are you going to do? Look away. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, true. But I was going to say like, you would take out your phone 
and you'd Google. Oh, if I'm not watching it. Yeah. If I'm not watching it in a theater. Yeah. I'd play like, was it real or like, what's it based off? of? You'd be able to immediately tell all this is bullshit. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's so, it's such a time capsule of such a particular moment Mm -hmm. where it's like, you could use the internet to spread the word, but the internet wasn't being used against you yet. You know? It's really fascinating. Yeah, it's so true. I've I've recently become a little obsessed with watching. Uh, there's a BuzzFeed channel on YouTube called BuzzFeed Unsolved. Right. I've shared oh, some yeah. of these with you and Shannon, where these two guys, Shane and Ryan, who one Shane is like the the total skeptic and doesn't believe in anything supernatural, and Ryan, the other guy, is quite open minded into all those things and gets very freaked out. But they investigate all these like supernatural occurrences and stories and hauntings and. But it is that thing of like they they start narrating this story and going to these places and it sparks my interest and yeah and I never thought of that of of that habit of them being able to stop and pause it and be like oh wait I need to look up some of this yeah so yeah it would be very hard to to do something like this now I, when people would want to sort of expand their knowledge immediately yeah without just getting through something first yeah. I think the closest thing that came to like this level of like, I'm not sure if it's fake or real was I think maybe like 2000. Presidential election? No, yeah, that one was, I was, I was really keep my fingers crossed for fake. <laughs> but back in 2000, I think 11 with the Marble Hornets YouTube series, it was when like Slender Man first became on. It was kind of the same thing. Like this guy was doing like found footage documentary of like, slender man essentially and i remember like watching it and being like oh my god is slender man real like that was like the closest thing i think we my generation yeah, has gotten to blair witch that's really interesting because all i heard you say were the word slenderman three times and nothing else i didn't what was the first thing hornets it was called um it was a youtube channel called no. marble i think yeah it was called the marble hornets and that was a big deal yeah it was a big deal i remember because everyone was like oh yes it was when slender man I want to think like I think this is the first I had heard of Slender Man. Sure. Even though I know like it stemmed from like a four chan something, but I yeah. like that wasn't I mean, why they really stemmed from the Mothman. Like he's just this evolution of something that people have always had. Of oh, we see something kind of looks human and we interpret it in a certain way, basically. And it's still like a thing. Like people, you know, like would oh, it's yeah. like very similar like mythology kind of to the Blair Witch and like our closest thing to real life Blair Witch. The key I think thing right is now. we want we want something like yeah. we want it so badly. And when you're seeing this stuff, that's the problem with nowadays. Like back then, you'd watch this like, sure, you don't want free kids to be dead. And you don't, I don't know if you really want witches to be real in the world, but at least 75% of you mm-hmm. really does. Really wants to be like, oh, please let this be real and let there actually be spooky weird things happening in the world. And then you couldn't contradict it. And now, yeah, it's like you're saying, like you can watch that, that channel you're watching and immediately contradict them by going and looking it up. And that is a problem. Like it does like, for sure. I'm really impressed technically with Curse of Blair Witch watching it this time. Very impressed. And well, obviously it's different. Normally we don't reveal any of our feelings until we get to the end, like proper feelings. We just go like minute by minute. Oh, okay. It's hard with this. This one's very hard. Because it's it's not really a proper film. But I am am diffused from it. Like I I really liken it you two getting spooked by it at all. Because for me, I can purely appreciate it from a critical point of view now in terms of like, it's amazing the effort that was put into yeah, absolutely. the yeah. casting. Like you say, fantastic. Mm-hmm. If it is casting, if it's real people, so well controlled, so well edited to yeah. get those moments. But, yeah, that was another thing I was thinking. Is like, yeah, are they actually real people? 
and then yeah if it is then the directing of these people again that's also just incredible yeah to yeah. get these performances i do think and i think that and again we'll get to next week but i think that's a real boon that the two directors have is like how to get these performances and allow people to just be themselves and then take those best moments and yeah. use them in the right ways but anyway, okay, so we start with a spooky movie, which we get clips from the film. They're going to show us clips from the film throughout, which was an interesting choice. And again, it's part of this is really just a trailer. And they show some good clips, but they're all short enough. Nowadays, I feel you'd show a lot more. Yeah. And because, and, yeah, watching this back, I was like, all right, trying to think of how much those clips were spoiling anything. But they should have shown a lot of it out of, without much context. I mean... As far as that footage. Yeah. Like how it relates to each other. They are in chronological order, I noticed, which was a little frustrating. But you don't get the ending, at least, which is a big thing. I thought they were going to show some of the ending. Okay? Yeah, no, I was You're, like, shaking your head. (laughs) I know, shaking my head, like, kind of like they didn't. I mean, I... I have no idea what's going to happen in the Blair Witch Project. And You've like, seen it. But that was so long ago. <laughs> okay. And like watching the curse of the Blair Witch, it really made me realize like I actually, I don't remember what this movie is about. And it's a lot scarier yeah. than I remember. And I think, you know, part of the fear factor was like we've been saying is how realistic mm-hmm. it is. And it holds up even to like me now in 2019, like I watch it and it's much more effective than even like kind of like the same like fake documentary yeah. things you see in modern day. And it's yeah. just by like. Well, I, I, yeah. and that removal does help a bit as well because you can't, you do anything you might question mark to, you're going to say, well, that was 1988, mm-hmm. You know, it's like when you watch a subtitle movie and you might be slightly more kinder to the actors because you don't really understand the context of their, you know, the native tongue. I feel you kind of go, well, that was that decade. So if there is a problem with it, we're going to let it get away with it. So mm-hmm. in some ways I think it's even better now because of that. It's preserved kind of like that. But yeah, we're going to have like Montgomery College, Michael Dakota. He talks about how creative. So this is one of the things that I do think is important. Like there's not much to talk about here, but I do think it's important. Some of the building we're going to get characters. They're going to talk about Heather quite a bit. How energetic, how creative, how brilliant mm-hmm. she was. She, he saw her as this like incredibly talented filmmaker. Remember Rachel Meyer, who's Heather's best friend. Uh, very like natural performances, like I was saying. But they're going to splice it in with real photos, real cuttings from like, and then fake cuttings, reports of stuff. Mm-hmm. They're going to mix reality of these actors with fake worlds that they're building the baby with the hair thing you spotted which is insane yeah so we've got randy and grandfather talking and then you get free pictures of heather as a baby and then the youngest one i hadn't noticed anything in the others and i watched actually a bit of curse early uh, like mm-hmm. about a week ago and i noticed that bit immediately in the, in the beginning and yeah her hair is like the blair witch symbol the stick man is mm-hmm. matted into her hair and again this is a time when photoshop wasn't very sophisticated yeah, yeah. and they do a great job with it Literally. yeah i mean i missed it until you I didn't think it was Photoshop. Like I really imagined the director going to this crying baby and trying to like adjust the hair. <laughs> I think so. It was definitely Photoshop. What's interesting here is they're going to propose these things about Heather being brilliant. They're going to show that, which to me is like, okay, she's marked from as a very young kid. Because we could just look at it as this is a cute little nod. But as a very young kid, she's marked, right? Like that's what it's telling me about her. Yeah, um, and I was oh. reading some kind of trivia points, which is in this book, apparently. The Blair Witch Dossier. Yeah, compiled by D.A. Stern. So there's a bit in this book. Now, I don't know if this is kind of a spoiler, but, but the fact that she's marked, but it, there's a bit in here that says Heather's mother loans Heather's journal, which was found in the backpack, to a psychic to read. And the psychic discovers that Heather actually invoked the Blair Witch mm. to appear. 
There's one thing people are going to get into is, is Heather to blame for all of this or not? And if she's the CEO, and we'll get more into it next week when we actually get to the film film. But yeah, they're going to talk about April 18th, 1994. Heather submits a proposal to do the documentary on the Blair Witch. Joshua was someone who was seen as more just wanting to be cool in the film industry. And initially I was like, would they really talk this blase and ill about the dead? But then also it's 94, you know, like to 98, 99. It's been a while Mm -hmm. in this fabricated world. And this is another reason why you couldn't do this now. Because anybody else would be like, you'd just Google, hey, what about these people? And you'd find Heather on her social media being fine for those four years interim. Yeah, yeah. Whereas at that point you couldn't. It's like, oh, this actor hasn't done anything because it's obviously a new film. But they're pretending they went missing four years ago. Because I remember it wasn't until much later on, even though I knew that the film, that it wasn't real. But I remember it wasn't until much later on, yeah, maybe when IMDb came around, where I was like, oh, that's their real names. Yeah. And yeah, because yeah. Yeah, I couldn't get that info at the time. But even if it wasn't, you'd take a screen grab, you'd do facial recognition or whatever, mm-hmm. you'd find them yeah, yeah. and see, oh, no, they're still alive. This is bullshit. Mm-hmm. And then they start painting Heather slightly badly, as if she's cursed a little bit. They say, like, there's something about her that I didn't want Joshua going off. And, like, hanging Yeah, out. his girlfriend just felt something. She didn't feel jealousy. right about it. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like one of those things where if you were reading it, if you were watching it without having seen the film, yet. The film yeah. maybe you could read it as jealousy. Yeah. Purely as jealousy. I read it as jealousy, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And then I think maybe when you've seen the film... And maybe explore the lore a bit. You can, you might sort of, yeah, consciously add that sort of subtext to it. Yeah. That that ill feeling was because of some. Because of, of some sort of, yeah. It is yeah. interesting to how when they're talking about like the lore and kind of like the flashbacks to, I think it was like during like the 1940s. And like that scene with like they bring the guy down after he like killed the kids. Mm-hmm. How he was like, oh, she said pick those ones. Mm-hmm. Like it yeah, wasn't yeah. like a random like, you know, she said like pick specific so, ones. So mm-hmm. yeah, so she's yeah. selective for whatever reason. And we're not going to necessarily find out, but we'll see. We're going to learn that Josh and Mike were friends before. And then we're going to get some news footage about the three of them that go missing, searching in the Black Hills area. Again, like the news footage now. There's bits where I'm jumping back from this and I'm like, that is so well put together oh, it's, it's so well made it's, it's just so everything about this is it just feels so real one question because like, what they do on purpose then which you would do in these is they have they show a clip from the film and then at the bottom right they say courtesy of artists and entertainment yeah which you would do like they don't have to put that there mm-hmm. they're making that seem like oh this has been loaned to us by the company that owns these reels blah 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 is it at all bubble bursting that they're called entertainment just even even if it was just by artisan, but the fact that their company is called Artisan Entertainment, looking at it now, right? I'm like, that's a slight red flag. Like, why would a company buy it? Which I guess maybe they would. You know, it doesn't matter. I don't know. I don't think so, because I mean, you know, you like you were saying, it's the '90s. It was back then, so I feel like anyone could. You know, that was still like new. Like, no one was really thinking about oh, the company names meaning anything specific. Because you know, I don't think like people weren't thinking so much if this was real or not. I think mm-hmm, they'd just yeah. buy it, be like, oh, this is just who's putting it out. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. yeah, no. You, I mean, you're obviously right because it worked. But I'm just looking <laughs> at it now. I was like, mm, it seems like a weird decision. I don't know if I would have put the name there. I would. Just it would definitely it. now be bubble bursting, one hundred percent. Yeah, because I mean, I suppose you could have the other choice with that is you leave it till the end credits. Yeah. You know. You say all footage courtesy. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's like, that's a nice little extra layer there at the end. Yeah. Or an anagram of the company name. 
It's getting scary. So they said the only evidence found was Joshua's cup car parked on Black Rock Road. And then we get Ronald Craven's, which for me is an Adelaide red flag. Because Craven's. Yes, I saw. Yeah, that was a thing. So presumably named after Wes Craven, who invented Nightmare on Elm Street, Hills of Eyes, like some mm-hmm. of the greatest horror films of all time. Sadly passed away a few years ago. That was one where I was like, hmm, that's interesting. But he's the Burkittsville Sheriff. And they kind of punctuate this with some good humor, like here and there as mm-hmm. well, which I will say the last broadcast doesn't do enough of and this it's shorter so it has that buoyancy but there's some good little there's a good pacing here so what's the well when was the car found uh was it found right after they went missing right yes like that that was found pretty early on. yeah and then Just 10 the- days later they call off the search okay because the car was like covered in leaves and yeah. Also, I can't believe they were just allowed to park their car yeah, on the side like of the road wherever without a parking ticket. Okay. Ninety nine, baby. Well, ninety four. Everything's yeah. great. So yeah, then they show a letter that a volunteer wrote to the sheriff. And what I find interesting here is it clearly you can read it because they're showing you the letter while they're reading it out, and it clearly says written the Blair Witch is alive and well. But then they don't read that bit out in the VO. They skip over it. Oh, is that when that woman's reading it out? Yeah. Duddy Fulcher. Yeah. Oh, I didn't see that bit. Which for me felt like, okay, this is clearly what they originally thought was good. And then when they came to it, like, actually, that's a bit too on the nose to skip over it. But you can still yeah. see it in the letter. So I was like, yeah, yeah. that's interesting. Then they're going to talk about the origin. So they're going to show mystic occurrences from 1971. This presumably fabricated show, because he does talk about Blair Witch, with a hilarious fucking witch man in red glasses and an open robe who starts yeah. the shot by looking at the camera <laughs> through a mirror. Yeah. Which is amazing. It's so good. And this is where they're proving, yeah, they got a sense of humor. Like, they're enjoying this and enjoying mm-hmm. the fun they can have creating this universe that goes back decades, you know? Even with film footage. But, it, yeah, and again, it's like, you can see... The fun that they're having as filmmakers, but you can watch it. And because of its time context, with it being in the 70s, the way that this guy's dressed and the way that he talks, again, it's just like, it works. I believe it. Yeah. I absolutely believe it. It's very, it's just so rich. And then they're using all the different stocks that you should be using from those different decades. You feel it. Like there's no, yeah, you're not using a fucking editing tool, Mm -hmm. digital thing to like add in grain or whatever or to add in the scratches. This is the Mm -hmm. real deal that they're bothering to do. It's very Tarantino, to be honest. Yeah, there was a moment where I was thinking that. I was like, this feels like something Tarantino would uh, film in one of these films. And he'd be winking at the camera constantly. (laughs) Charles Morehouse, professor of folklore at Hampshire College. He's going to chat about 1786, the case of the Blair Witch. Another great character. And he's going to say there was another witch, uh, the Bell Witch of Tennessee in 1870. Ooh, sequel. Yeah, I know. Honestly, I was like, are they planning something? Were they thinking maybe we could plant something here? Uh, but I don't think we ever get back to the Bell Witch, but we'll look out for her as we go through the rest Bell of Witch Project. Bill Barnes, Burkittsville historian, who's a lot more funny. So you've got like Charles Morehouse is like, he's going to be the person who says, no, this is all fake. This is a fake, it's but strange. interesting. Um, and you need that. And that's so fucking smart of them because yeah. whenever things start mm-hmm. to get a little too weird, he comes in and go, well, of course, this is fake. And this is what this means yeah. to be that voice in the audience. Because then you because if you see something too weird, you immediately start going, no, I'm smarter than you. Because yeah. that's how the human brain works when you're watching something. But then if you have someone and telling you, well, this is clearly fake and he looks a bit pompous and blah, blah, blah. You're like, no, I'm smarter than you. This is yeah, real. Yeah. And here's why. Mm-hmm. And it's so good because it makes you back up the shit they're telling you. Yeah, but then the moment when the smart, pompous guy goes, well, it's fake, but I, I can't explain that. Mm-hmm. Then that's when you were like, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, yeah. And then you get Bill Barnes, Burkesville historian, who's the opposite. He's like real sort of like local boy. That's right. Because they <laughs> yeah. talk about, you probably get to it where they, they, a book was found that was written in the 
the early 19th century, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Morehouse is like, yeah, absolutely. Everything in that book is fake. And then it cuts <laughs> yeah. straight to the historian. And he's like, it was all true. <laughs> yeah. I think they cut immediately right after that to like his story about the woman too, who saw the Blair Witch when she was younger. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So he's going to talk about 1785 and they're going to show all this in like maps and old journals. Mm -hmm. It's fucking beautiful. Ellie Kedwards, the witch. She sailed from Ireland in 1769 from Ireland, Baltimore. He says Ireland, Baltimore, doesn't he? And that's the other cool thing is they show the, um, they show like the ship manifest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, these details are so good. She was a Catholic living in a Protestant community. Yeah. And then like we said in the opening, she took these kids. Well, we didn't get any opening. She bled these kids. And then it's very vague. With a pinprick. Yeah. So our 1970s Wiccan man, a warlock. <laughs> Someone, My I was reading that online was like, he's a witch, but shouldn't male witches be called warlocks? But he talks about witches are really sort of like holistic healers like pagans and have beliefs about the earth and, mm. and god being in everything and that that's why they were during the witch trials a lot of people were were like were accused of being witches because mm-hmm. they used different types of medicine or had alternative ways of thinking which, which weren't necessarily evil and i think he mentions that ellie kedwood was like pinprick them to get the blood because they had been unwell or there were symptoms Mm -hmm. and she was trying to help them and i know like back then like that was like the main way for like medicine like to like bleed someone like prick them to like heal them so it sounds like she had really sweet kind of positive intentions Mm -hmm. what if she was a doctor from the future she's a time traveler yeah then she's dumb for not like time traveling back before (laughs) they caught her oh no i forgot where i put my time machine no we're gonna have to we're gonna have to keep talking about time traveling but anyway um, we're going to talk about next week as well. Yeah, so then they blindfolded the witch in the worst winter ever, tied her to a tree in the woods and left her there. A year later, the disappearances happen and she is blamed for them. So they all move away from town. Um, and we get these beautiful old letters recounting the events. And in 1809, a rare book was discovered called The Blair Witch Cult, a supposed collection of first-hand accounts. And this is the bit yeah, with a professor saying it's a pack of lies. But then we got this whole thing about how she controlled the animals of the forest. Even the, this is like a letter in controlled the animals of the forest. Even the trees did her bidding. And when she walked, her feet didn't touch the ground. Um, and I remember She's the first so time eerie. I watched this. Yeah. I remember the first time I watched this, it did really like get a nice skin. Because you're painting, you're imagining what she's like. Yeah. And, and yeah, well, they don't show you in this, at least what she looks like. Other than these sort of sketches. Which are really, really effective, I have oh, to yeah. say. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, in this, yeah, we get those um, watercolor paintings. Yes. And I forgot about those. And they fucking look cool. Yeah. Some of them, yeah, it's just like, some of them kind of look like child paintings. and then, But it's just, no, no they're very The effective. really period accurate ones really got me. Yeah. Like yeah. the ones for like, oh, painting from like the 19, well, not 1970s, like 17. Well, when she's got her. Oh, yeah. Like, they're sort like of Christ like, isn't it? It's almost like a yeah. crown of thorns. Yeah. So some developers finally abandoned land in 1824 and then the town was refounded and they're off having a little picnic in the creek and then the creek apparently has been known to be cursed. I think that is such a simple and rich and beautiful idea. That yeah. idea that a whole town left. Oh, yeah. And then you have this Other whole span. Move in. Yeah. Like that in itself is just. Yeah. It's very silent hill. Yeah. Like yeah it's really spooky. Mm-hmm. 
A young child called Eileen Treacle drowns in a very shallow stream, and 12 witnesses observe a ghostly hand coming out of water and dragging the kid in. But no one goes to save her. No, nah, fuck it. Just... <laughs> um, but yeah, but that's what's great, because then you get a professor saying, well, it's probably just parental neglect, and they're covering it up. And that's really all it is. It's like, it's not a big thing happens. It's like, well, a kid drowned. Yeah, it probably was just a fucking kid drowned. But it's just these little seeds that they're sowing. Mm-hmm. May the 15th, 1829, cattle start dying from drinking the creek water. It's got an oily substance in it. And then the totems, the Blair Witch symbol, is starting to float down the river. And earlier they had said that, like, what was it? That she would, like, take the bodies of her victims and make, like, or they said it in the book that and make a really horrific, like, mulch. mm so that's what I thought the oil was, like the body. Yeah, it was the bits mulch. from, yeah. yeah. Which we're going to get into because I think it is really vague, even when you're reading through the dossier, which does explain things a little bit more. But 1886, Bill Burns says, a lady told him when he was a little boy that when she was little, a floating lady took her through the woods to a house and she took her to the basement and said to wait there. Um, and, but then she escaped because she was scared and ran back to town. I mean, right? scared. <laughs> um, but the professor says it was probably just a kid telling a story. But when a search party was then sent out, they disappeared. So then another search party was sent and they find the original search party on Coffin Rock. Presumably named after this. I <laughs> don't know. Otherwise, yeah, of course, bad things are going to happen on Coffin Rock. Uh, they yeah. disemboweled, which I'm presuming is where that mulch comes from, but I don't know. Ugh. And on their faces, hands and feet, pagan symbols were carved. Um, and their bodies were already, it's, very, it's a throwaway line, but it's like their bodies were already in a severe state of decomposition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's as if time has passed there, Alex. They went to get help, uh, but came back and the bodies were gone, but the smell was still lingering in the air. 1940, 60 years later again. So all these things are happening in 50 to 60 year intimates. They introduced Rustin Parr with real footage of him in his prison cell. This is stuff we're talking about that was filmed very late in the production for the film. Um, and he was a hermit living up the mountain. Some of the kids start disappearing and then he comes to the market and says, I'm finally finished. The police then go to his house and find the bodies of seven kids that have been missing. They've also been disemboweled. Same thing, carvings on them. And he admitted to doing the crimes, but said that an old lady ghost told him to do it. Carl Brody, however, was one kid who escaped and he gave a testimony. And he said, he told me to stand in the corner and to face the wall. I could hear Emily screaming behind me. He was cutting her. And then he would come up to me and say... Do you hear her? Do you hear the woman's voice? Rustin Parr is then hung on November the 27th, 1941. And we get footage of Rustin in this interview, which fuck me. You're talking about good casting. Yeah. Like this guy, he's talking about hearing voices in his head, telling him to do it. They're asking him all these very like basic questions. And he's going, no. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And he's just like seems so just cut off from the world. And when yeah. they pull him away, you see the smiles. Yeah. On his face. That bit's so... Also, like the screaming they intercut too when they were going back to show clips of like his like cabin crime scene. It was, I that I think that was one of, if not the most effective like fear tactic, like for me for this film because that was so horrifying. Like Mm. it was just too perfect, it was too real. Yeah, there was one bit though, which I I don't know, I could hear it quite right because they do just like breeze through things. And again, this footage is so Mm. feels so genuine that yeah if you can't hear it you can't hear it mm-hmm. but i feel like one person's question was like did he write the things on the walls and he said yeah no. it was that and then he says no. no yeah and then he was like they were like well then who did yeah okay good i'm glad we yeah. picked up on that no, that's, that. these are the things gonna be important for next week yeah because then then the last thing is like well, did you say will god forgive you 
Or is God forgiving? Yeah, do you feel like God's forgiving or are you suggesting? He says yes. Yeah. And you think that's it. And then, yeah, it gets up and he has that smile. And it's like, yeah. oh, fucking hell. So good. I love yeah. it. 1995, October. David Mercer, Maryland Anthropology. He's with some of his uh, team. Anthropologists, right? Yeah. yeah. So with some of his team. They're the remnants of an old house. And again, it's just, just like the bottom bits of the wall that are left, basically, from now, this house. Now, I couldn't remember. But is this the house? Well, here's the thing. I never used to feel that way. But again, from the stuff we're going to learn in later films. Yeah. I believe that, yes, this is the house. Yeah, because I... It doesn't exist. Yeah, that's what I thought. And you're getting just the foundations of what's actually left from the house now are just these little, yeah, the little bricks mm. at the bottom. So this is presumably what the house really looks like. It might not be yeah. what we're going to see next week. Um, and they're digging it up for whatever reasons, because it's an old wall. And then they find a backpack and it has all the film canisters in, it has all the film tapes, but it's so deep that there's no way it could possibly have gone there. It just kind of seems to have appeared there. Yeah. So um, it basically... What the anthropologist says is that it was as low as what would have been the basement of the house, which had collapsed. And then on top of that, because the house had burnt down, there would have been ash, a layer of ash. Yeah, exactly. It was like in this, yeah, it was like too deep down for anyone to put in there. Which we don't have anything in this preamble which says that the house burned down, do we? We have nothing to do with the villagers going there to burn down Rustin Pass house or anything like that. Mm -mm. Because yeah, well, well, let's get to it next week. We'll try and figure some of these pieces out if we can, because it is really all over the place. And they're presuming, this is the thing, it's like, A, can you enjoy it without knowing any of this? Heaven's presumably proven that you could because you didn't know this stuff. Yeah, I'm really enjoying this. But enjoying it, knowing all this stuff, like you're meant to read the dossier, you're meant to go on the site and look at all mm-hmm. the stuff, you're meant to have seen Curse of the Blair Witch, but you don't necessarily have to have. But if you do, it's going to enrich oh, your yeah. experience more next week. Lots it's got me really, really excited, dropping back into all of this. Um, yeah, seeing like the dossier, having this documentary, is just like, I, mm-hmm. I want to get lost in it again. Well, we're gonna, buddy. Don't worry, we've got weeks of it. So the <laughs> case scared. is closed again. They declare the found footage doesn't explain what happened to these kids, which mm-hmm. they clearly didn't watch it properly. And then they culminate with the snotty nose shot to really sell the film. And then it ends, which I find a little bit weird because they don't explain what you think is going to happen at the end of here is they're going to say something to do with, oh, okay. And now Hacks and Films have teamed up with Artists and Entertainment. They got approval from the parents. Because that's what I read. I read they have approval from the parents and then putting together this film. They're editing that footage together to make something of it. And I thought that's what we get at the end of the Curse of Blair Witch is something saying this footage is going to be released mm-hmm. as, you know, assembled as a proper full stop on the advertising. And they don't do that, which is very strange. And what's even stranger is then, yeah, you have the end credits. Everyone just seems to be playing themselves apart from Rustin Parr. Yeah. Which you're like, well, that's an immediate red flag for this is all fake because you've got an actor next to Rustin Park, which must have just been in whatever contract they had. But it's like, why would you do that? Yeah, it was a weird choice. And then you've obviously got the directors and writers as directors and writers in this. Yeah. But I guess that can make sense. You still get them even in programs. Like even in true documentaries, yeah. you call them writers and directors. That was just something which was like, well, that breaks everything if you're paying attention. And people weren't paying enough attention, I think, back then. Mm. And the key thing is you couldn't go and see this online. You couldn't download it anywhere. It was broadcast once. Yeah. Three days later, the movie came out. So you had to really pay attention and be very skeptical. And you wouldn't be. You would just be, what is this thing? Most people wouldn't have mm-hmm. seen that. Was it uh, split screen or whatever it was, yeah, footage? Yeah. They wouldn't have gone on a website yet. That would be just the really dedicated early birds with it. This would be the first exposure America really got to it. 
and they got excited. And then the movie came out in 27 screens only initially, but we'll get to that next week. Wow. So guys, Curse of Blair Witch. Uh, I think I feel everyone's pretty positive about it, and it's a weird one to review, I guess. But Heaven, mm. let's start with you. I. Uh, how do you feel? No, I thought, I mean, honestly, like going into this, I kind of thought I was like, oh, you know, it's the Blair Witch. Like, I thought it was going to be kind of not as intense as it ended up being. Like, I found myself genuinely a little bit scared. Like, I was like, by the end of it, I was like feeling really anxious watching this. And I was just surprised by how absolutely realistic. If, you know, I was, if you were showing this to me, and I had no knowledge of it. You're like, hey, like, and I just didn't know what Blair Witch was. I didn't have time to go online. Like, oh, hey, you want to watch this crazy thing? It's a documentary. I think I would have believed you. Like, they're really, really effective. Like, the details from, like, the difference of how, like, the news clips looks like they're better quality than the interviews and just, like, the actors they picked. I mean, no, I'm really excited and simultaneously really terrified for Blair Witch next week. So quick question, which is maybe impossible to answer, but is, does this work at all on its own? Yes. Like, could you just watch this as its own thing? Never see Blair Witch. I don't know why you would, but could you just watch this and just be like, yeah, this is just like a totally weird little spooky thing by itself. Yeah, absolutely. Because the amount of like detail they put into like the lore and the world and they really lead you through the entirety of the, of kind of like the Blair Witch mythology through the lens of this you know missing persons case mm. and i could totally you know it's like those old school sure. like yeah bigfoot alien documentary so yeah it yeah. stands alone like if if there wasn't a blair witch film i could totally imagine this popping up on youtube someone being like oh remember this uh documentary from 20 years ago mm-hmm. and it would be for me if i stumbled across that on youtube it would be like a complete little gem that i'd just be like this what is this is fucking so creepy and weird Mm-hmm. And it would and it would work and be so believable. Yeah, yeah. And those little bits of footage that you get sprinkled throughout, you'll be pouring over. You'll yeah. be like, "What is this? Is all they're giving us? What, yeah. What's the well? It's the actual footage." I want to see the footage, and I'd be like trawling through the the net to find it. Yeah. So again, for me, like I, I didn't feel remotely scared watching this, and I and I'm frustrated not having any illusion in my brain that because even when you know something's fake, again maybe that town has some history mm-hmm. maybe that's maybe it's remotely related to some story somewhere in the world because i want that and so i didn't feel scared but i really think it's a fantastic piece of work i think it's an incredible amount of detail and world building to a level that i don't i don't can't think of anything that's done that much yeah. world building like i think mm-hmm. it's, it's yeah. phenomenal you know there is one thing that is interesting because i forgot what was his name he was from he was was from cuba Yes, uh, uh, Edward Sanchez. Edward, and I know in Cuba there's a lot of, you know, mythology surrounding kind of witchcraft and mm-hmm. voodoo. And so the fact that, you know, even like what their first three original films were kind of around that. Yeah, yeah. And then it transferred over to this. Um, part of me is kind of wondering, you know, like, does this curse of this story have roots in Cuba? Mm, yeah. So that's research yeah, for another time. To correct myself, is Eduardo. I apologize because someone's screaming at me right now. I was being an idiot. <laughs> Michael James, all that. <sighs> I know he's Michael James. Yeah. I mean, I got, I immediately got goosebumps when this started, and I don't know. I think it was like a combination. Of, I just turned the air conditioning on. So yeah, no. it was a combination <laughs> of being cold and just I was just cold. I think it was a combination of sort of nostalgic excitement of being brought back into this world and and. Yeah, and the excitement and the thrill and the 
the rush it gave me when it came out and all of this external stuff around the film, how much I enjoyed that and how it had a huge, huge impact on me. So there was a part of that, but then also just the tone, the tone immediately was just like, it feels so real. It's, um, the, yeah, I, I felt uncomfortable and spooked by it immediately. Even this is, even though this is just the documentary leading up to the film. And, you know, I've watched other horror films that have scared me initially and gone back to them. And I'm like, I'm not, it's, it's fine. Like I, I know everything that's coming. Whereas this, there's something about it that just pulls me mm-hmm. into a place that is very real. And I love that. And I, but, but having all this time and, and, you know, having also had more experience personally in the film industry, being able to step back and just admire what they've created at this point, it's remarkable. It is really remarkable. Just like the different sort of levels and layers and timelines that they've included in this documentary. The casting is just so on point and so natural that, yeah, I, I am just nothing but excited to, to revisit all of this and to watch this film again because it is a yeah it is a remarkable piece of work and an achievement yeah i am too and i'm also excited because it's going to get weird like we're going to go on a weird journey for the next few weeks with the films that we're watching and i'm happy because we've proved with this episode that it is worthwhile separating some of these i think most people would talk about curse of blair witch in a quick side note before talking about blair witch i'm happy we've given it a full hour and a half basically twice the length of the film itself because i think it i think it deserves it and i think all of this richness around Mm -hmm. it is is very important to the Mm -hmm. film itself so thank you for entertaining us with dragging out this series as long as we can basically so we will be back next friday with the blair witch project itself until then, please do go to iTunes still. Please type in Weird Geeks. And please head on over to starfishmixtape.com or go to your Voodoo or uh, is that it's a thing, isn't it? V-U-D-U. Oh, yeah. We're on that. Amazon. Yeah. PlayStation. Xbox. Yeah. Best place to watch any movie. Yeah. <laughs> Xbox. And please do search out our first feature film, Starfish, where you can tell us how much you hate it and, you know, at least watch it first before you tell us you hate it. Yeah. Yeah. Seems courteous. At least 10 minutes. Yeah, I mean, just fast forward through the boring bits. So essentially watch the uh, last scene because I quite like that bit. Uh, <laughs> some good music in that bit. And yeah, you can follow me on all social medias. I'm Mr. Al White on everything and also on the Xbox and also on the PlayStation now. I'm going to be playing some of that, um, what do you call it? Uh, Man of Medan. I think you can do that couch co-op though, can't you? Is that already out? It's coming, buddy. It's coming. The same week that the Blair Witch game comes out, about five other great games come out. And it's ridiculous because we're in a drought right now. I've been thirsty. Oh, I'd and then they're gonna thirsty. they're gonna drown me. Him. Do you guys know if Cooking Mama has any more? I used to love Cooking Mama. Yeah, me too. If they had another version of that, like a VR version of that, I'd really be set up. I feel like the modern Cooking Mama is overcooked, which is more yeah. stressful in a way. But uh, it's great fun. Great game. It's great fun. We'll play Overcooked sometime. Sounds good. Where can people find you? Don't tell me your address. In your dreams, in your <laughs> hearts, <laughs> on Instagram, Heaven and. Maybe my old high school Tumblr if you're real lucky. So Tumblr. Good luck. I'm learning about that today. <laughs> what is this um, Tumblr? From our incredible listenership, Heaven, watch your Instagram followers grow week by week. <laughs> Alex. <laughs> you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Alexander Chard. Thank you guys for joining me. We'll be back next Friday with Blair Witch Project. Until then, we're out. Geeks. 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 Motherfucking.